Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. To ask what is our aim, I can answer in one word, victory. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up. Sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. Welcome to the Lead Different Podcast. Uh, We're uh, excited today because we have uh, in the room with us, as part of our podcast, uh, two really great friends of the program and great friends of mine, uh, Lee Deloney and Rick McLean. And today we're going to talk about building leaders, the military's role in developing leaders. Now, some of you may not be huge fans of the military for some reason, and I'm going to guarantee you by the time we're done with this podcast, you're going to see the military in a very different light. Uh, one of the reasons I want to do this podcast with Lee and Rick is because I believe that, uh, if not number one, uh, among the top two or three uh, entities or institutions in America that develops leaders is the military. And if you look around, you'll see that. I was listening to a podcast last night uh, from the Politics and Prose Bookstore in Washington, D.C. I think it was from 2016 or so. It was Joseph Ellis, one of my favorite historians. He wrote Founding Brothers. I think it's a Pulitzer Prize winning book on the revolution and from Mount Holyoke. But as he was preparing to speak, he was talking about different leaders and everything. Uh, and it turned out that he taught, um, at, he taught at West Point for about three to six months. And one of the people he taught at West Point was a guy that many people out there listening know, Mike Krzyzewski, the <laughs> coach of Duke University. I bring that up because for a lot of us, we don't understand how many people in America and the world learned how to lead in the military and that the military does an extraordinary job of doing that. As I mentioned, we have Lee Deloney with us and Rick McLean. Lee graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy, completing the Naval Nuclear Power Training Program, served as an engineering department officer on two nuclear-powered cruisers, active duty for nine years with the rank of lieutenant, is currently associate chief of inpatient uh, medical support at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Palo Alto, which we're all inspired by because he's taking care of our vets. Rick McLean was an E-6 Petty Officer, first class in the U.S. Navy, active duty for 11 years. I hope nobody's going to hate on us because we only have Navy guys in here. Uh, <laughs> right. st- stationed on two ships, destroyer, tender, and aircraft carrier, working in data processing, working with computers for the U.S. Navy, is currently SVP of technology at the largest broker-dealer on the West Coast in San Francisco. And so we got two really great guys. Now, again, I said, well, why did I do this? One of my favorite things to read about in history uh, is our military leaders. I don't even know how it all happened. One of the best books, and I'm going to give them to you at the beginning, is uh, Why Courage Matters by John McCain, who just passed away. It's one of the best books on courage and his life. Uh, forget about politics. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about who he is as a person, one of the most courageous men I've seen in public life. Uh, another good book is Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal, U.S. Army retired. And, and I think the military does a great job with teams. But my absolute favorite, my absolute favorite military guy of all time is Ulysses S. Grant. I, I, I have uh, at least 10 books about Ulysses S. Grant or Grant and Sherman. And, uh, and uh, one of the reasons I love him is because he was, uh, went to West Point. Um, he was in the, uh, the, the war between the, you know, the U.S. And, and Mexico. That's where he first got going. Came out of that, though, and basically hit rock bottom. Working at his dad's store, going into debt had nothing civil war breaks out and the guy comes he, he barely gets in you know because they didn't think he was much of an officer and he had a reputation for being a drunk which many historians think was exaggerated uh how much he drank and how often he drank 
Uh, but uh, he turned that around to become the fiercest fighter, and it was his determination. One of my favorite lines is they were just getting thrashed by the Confederates, just completely thrashed by them. And Sherman went and go, man, we've lost all these men. You know, what are we going to do? And he said a simple phrase, we'll beat them tomorrow. And that determination uh, turned, well, you know, it's the most transformative battle ever fought in the history of America because it made the nation what it was. Shelby Foote, a great Civil uh, War uh, historian, says uh, the Revolutionary War was the founding, but the defining of America was the Civil War. Uh, military has provided us with all kinds of people. George Marshall, the Marshall Plan, Dwight Eisenhower, President, Ulysses Grant, President, I could go on and on and on. They are one of the premier leadership developers that we have. And so one of the things that we wanted to start off with for Lee and, and, and Rick to talk about is what have you learned about leadership through your time in military service? What did, what did, what did you gain and what can we gain from understanding how the military raises up, trains, and develops leaders? Well, first of all, I'm excited to be here, and I'm grateful to be amongst uh, friends, and um, uh, we've all known each other a long time, and and so having two Navy guys is not a bad thing. <laughs> no, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Hey, so, it's my I, favorite. My uncle was in the Marines. So, my dad was um, Army, but my uncle was But, Marines. you know, I, I do think that people, when they think of the military, they, they think a lot about command and control and about, hey, you do this, yes, sir, and I'll obey, and... And certainly in a, in a wartime situation, you, you need to have clear command and, and control and, and, a, and a complete trust that you have with each other, those, those that are calling the shots and those that are carrying out the orders. But I, I think what's not well understood is that that's not the leadership uh, of great military leaders. Um, uh, I don't remember that we use this term, but uh, the great leadership I saw is what today would be called servant leadership. Wow. Yep. And, and that's a surprise maybe to many people. I bet. But um, mm-hmm. what, what my role was all about as an officer was removing the obstacles from the way of my men so that they could take their unique skills and get the job done. Wow. I, I was – my purpose was to get them the supplies they needed, to get someone off their back who wow. was falsely mm-hmm. accusing them. My job was to remove the obstacles for them to do their jobs. Um, now, I worked in the engineering spaces in the uh, – a nuclear power plant's a complicated beast. Yeah, and I And so, um, <laughs> you know, uh, each – each of these guys had a skill set that was highly developed. And, you know, a guy that's working with a massive turbine, which is turning the propellers, he does not want the, the, the guy who may understand the electrical network anywhere near his uh, turbine. And he certainly didn't want me as the division officer to touch the thing. He's like, sir, go away. <laughs> Don't get close to my gear. Go away. <laughs> you know, Uh and so um, that that that's an aspect of, of leadership that people don't understand about the the, the military is that uh, it's a matter of uh, equipping people and letting them shine to do what they've been uh, trained to do. Yeah, but I think just to follow up on that on the enlisted side, I think what Lee was saying is correct because uh, you know I had good leaders and I had leaders that were not as good as others and. The ones that did the best were successful at removing the obstacles and allowing us to do our job. Because, you know, you're on an aircraft carrier. There's many, many pieces that are needed to keep that big machine running. And everybody's job was important. And, you know, from the the junior guy that's the cook, you know, to the admiral that's up there 
commanding the fleet. Everybody's got a job to do, and you know the good leadership does take those obstacles away and allows you to do that job. I love that. I love that definition of taking. I'm going to listen to this podcast just to listen to that again. Removing obstacles. I was listening to Stanley McChrystal, who spoke at Stanford in 2012, and he did a talk basically about his work. He was a Green Beret and then worked his way up, and he was talking about his work in the in the war in the Middle East. Which we're not talking politics today. We're just talking about how leaders are developed. And one of the things he said connected with what you guys are talking about is he kept emphasizing how. Every person's role is vital. He even said, even to give this speech today, someone had to turn the open the doors of this room. Someone had to turn on the lights. And he he was so in detail about the value of every one of those people. And so when you talk about removing those obstacles, it 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 it's a profound view of servant leadership. I think even helps me in thinking: Am I removing the obstacles from the people I'm leading? So it's very very practical. Let me ask a question. Um, well, I have two questions. One is I heard, and I don't know if this is just army or whatever, that that uh, a vast majority of people in the military are engineers as far as the population base. Is that just maybe one branch or did I get that wrong? Or are there a lot of engineers in the military? They were referring to like they build bridges, they build cities. True. They- yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I guess if you had to choose a single skill set, that that would be amongst it's uh, the, the highest, a significant That's one. A, because, it just surprised me. Right. You're building airstrips, you're designing aircraft, you're, yeah. So I, I would say that's probably true. I never thought about that, yeah, to be yeah. honest I, I with you. I had just heard that. It's just, it's, I think when you said falsehoods, I was one of those people who had a false view of the military being command control. And I even, I've talked, I've had friends who grew up in, in the military. Their parents were, were military, uh, uh, in the military. And I even think they had that view that their parents were command control. Right. And I think sometimes we project onto people things we think are happening. Sometimes order feels like command control, you know, as right. a parent, we all know as parents, <laughs> our kids think we're command control. No, I'm trying to keep you from killing yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, sure. So, so why is it that basic training, as I've heard about that a lot, is such an important part of this whole military experience? Because did you have to go, do you, have, do you do basic training at the academy as well, right? Yeah, we do. It. Uh, well, we have a kind of a summer, which is, which is, um, I want to say pure hell. You can say that. Yeah. And then, uh, but the whole first year at the academies is a year where you're being kind of broken down and, and uh, they're test. It's really a test to see mm-hmm. who's going to have the character to, to later rise up and lead, you know? So yeah. And oh, okay. uh, Rick can speak to uh, a, a boot camp. It, it, it's a, it's a time where you're, where you're, sifting through uh people and some people don't make it in the first few days really uh yep. you yep. know you yep. just they're just gone they just disappear right seriously out of your unit, right? i mean i always knew that people didn't you know make it later but it's that quick that quick I, I remember i remember getting off the bus and this guy saying okay you maggots go line up over here and i was looking around and i was just thinking what did i get myself in <laughs> Like, dude, is this the biggest mistake of my life? What did I get myself into? But to Lee's point, yeah, you know, you start off the company, um, if I remember correctly, was 80, 85 people. And when we graduated nine weeks later, it was 62. Really? See, that reminds me of college. Because in college, you go just traditional, you know, college. Yeah. You, I remember my, I think my, I had a political science class. There must have been 300 people in that class. But, you know. That changes quick. And I, so the sifting process, is that an important part of developing leaders? It is because not not everybody 
uh, is is meant to be. Well, I hate to say that, yeah. but uh, everybody can lead to some level, but not everybody's meant to lead in, in a pressure situation in a situation where you're trying to to bring together a, a diverse group of people to do something that they really perhaps don't want to do. I mean, that those qualities uh, are, are, are different. Well, you know? you, when, when, when lives are at stake, right? when details are important, yes. when your mistake, I, I, during the one of the Iraq wars, I can't remember, I remember a report was done and said uh, because these guys get no sleep, they get no rest, one of the great dangers when they don't get that sleep and rest is friendly fire. Uh, casualties exactly. and and so uh, well, you're ba- I think you're being very very generous to say you're not saying that everybody can't lead people everybody you can lead lead lots of things but leading under the pressure of life and death leading right. when you know you've got people like my sister was in this hurricane recently in Michael and uh, down in uh, in Florida and the first thing I thought is man I hope they get the military down there because her trees have fallen because you just know the military is going to go in and they're going to execute right and people right. are going to get saved but you're saying. This is an elite level of leadership. Would that be fair? I, I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think it is an elite level uh, of leadership. But um, you know, I was thinking about the boot camp experience, which you which you asked about, and and uh, it clearly um, there's a lot of stories about boot camp, and and some are probably exaggerated, like fishing <laughs> stories, but. But some of them are, are, are really true. I remember them. I remember some guy yelling at us. There was a lot of yelling in boot camp <laughs> yes. at close range. Oh, yes. really? So, yeah. It's, yes. You, you, if you, you don't want to wear glasses because they get kind of fogged up yes. with thick particles. I'm Anybody, sorry I'm yeah, laughing. Yeah, but this but, is, it's too real because you guys are, you know, this yeah, is real. But, but, you know, he said, look, you know, turn, look at the guy to the left of you. Turn, look at the guy to the right of you. One of you is not going to be here. You know, that. Uh, they, they, from the very beginning, they do want to break you down and, and, and break down your, uh, your just perhaps arrogance or, or, or anything that you think you're all that about. And the reason for that is not, uh, to psychologically mess you up, but the idea is that in boot camp, you learn that it's not about the individual. Correct. It's okay. not about how Correct. short you are, Correct. how tall you are. It's not even about your culture. Okay. I'm sorry. It, yeah. it, okay, yeah. it's about the greater good of the team and of the of the mission. And you have to set those things aside. Right. You know, you may have been the fastest guy in high school, right? And, but uh, you know, uh, how is it going to help the team? And, and so that was. Uh, at the end of the uh, of the boot camp time, you know, you'd, you'd have ceremonies and things, and you see these guys that came in, you know, long haired and knuckle headed, and they're all lined up and and they look sharp and they're proud because now they're a unit and they and they'll they'll remember each other forever. Wow, you know, um, because they've been built into something that's greater than just themselves. So wow, that's boot camp. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the whole message. I mean, uh, a lot of people don't know why they cut your hair. I, I saw the reason why. Really? Well, when I, when I joined, it was Memorial Day weekend, and we got there on a Friday, so we didn't get our hair cut till Tuesday, till they opened back up. And I saw, you saw the guys that were a little more um, disrespectful, had a little bit more attitude, but that was the first step. Of stripping you down and making bringing it down and breaking it down and molding you into a unit because once everybody went through and had the barber laugh at them when they say you know how do you want it and then they all <laughs> laugh and they break out the sheep shears and cut it off everybody comes out of there with a different attitude and that was the beginning of it 
that's where it started. Now, it's interesting. You know, when I was in high school, the, well, not high school, I'm sorry. When I was in, like, in elementary school, the draft was still in effect. And uh, I'm a bit older than some of our listeners. And um, I remember that scared me to death, you know, because I was like, oh, my God, because the Vietnam War was going on. And I was like, dra- it wasn't the draft that scared me. It was the fact that when you went to Vietnam, you, you had a high level chance of dying. And I was just petrified at eight, nine. I'd go to bed praying at night going, oh, God, you know. I wouldn't even, I don't even know if I believed in God. I just was like, <laughs> I don't know where else to go with my fear. I was just so afraid of dying back then. Um, but I, I remember when it turned all volunteer. And I think that one of the, and I'm, I'm not for or against draft. That wasn't a comment on that. I'm saying, I think what's incredible is that you have people walking in saying, I want to do this. And I, and I think, I think what people out there can learn, whether they're in, in a business they're in a, a for-profit, non-profit business. Uh, they want to go into academia. They want to build a great program for physicists. Is that at some point you've got to pe- get people to say, number one, I want to do this. And then number two, I realize I have to be shaped to do this. So my dad was drafted uh, in, in the Army, and I, it shaped him. And say what you want, but it shaped him. And I think there are very few things in life that shape. And one of the things I think you guys can show are teaching us now is that if you want to build an elite organization, there's no question that the United States military is one of, if not the most elite organization in the world, you're going to have to have standards and you're going to have to have a way people come in and people are going to have to accept that when I come into a great organization, it's not about me. This takes place in sports at championship team right, right down the street at Stanford. I think they have a set of standards for their athletics and they win that, that, that cup almost every year for the most sports that have won the most championships because they have a set of standards. Can you get into Stanford? Probably not. (laughs) So right there, you're sifted. Can you play sports at Stanford? Not if you can't get in. And so I, I think I'm just saying that for people out there who may go, oh, the military is too intense. No, I think the military is, is a historic organization that says, here's how you do it. If you really want to make great men and great leaders, great women and great leaders, you're going to have to be able to establish a process which says if you want in and you want to buy in, there's a process to doing it, and it starts at the bottom. So I, I think that's cool. Well, and and here's what I think is that um, yeah, this this process can it really can be translated to to business. It can be translated to nonprofit, right. and, and I think there's certain crucial things that can be uh, learned and duplicated. For example. Um, one of the key things to uh, having a great organization is you have to have a, a clear true north. You have to have a clear mission and everyone needs to be uh, needs to understand that mission and it needs to be reiterated. And it may be on uh, visibility boards and it may right. be uh, something that's that that's uh, a colloquialism and it may be in, as a part of your logo or whatever. But I mean, it was clear to me uh, in, in the military that that this was not going to be about me. That's it, awesome. It was going to be about uh, protecting uh, our our freedoms. It's going to be about uh, keeping uh, my family safe. It was going to be about something bigger than me. And at seventeen, you know, you don't think much beyond no, me. I did. So that that was. A hard lesson to 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 really learn, but but if you have that if you have that mission and it's clearly understood and it's articulated and and you understand that um, you know my guys uh, my first job I was a division officer of, of of mechanics and there they were the nuclear 
machinist mates. And so they uh, uh, they uh, fixed pumps and pipes and air compressors and right. things like that. And, uh, you know, when that guy was in the middle of the night fixing a pump, it was important that he knew that if that pump didn't get fixed, then the reactor couldn't start up. If the reactor couldn't start up, then the ship couldn't leave leave the uh, the, the the port. Right. If the ship couldn't leave the port. It couldn't join the battle group, which was going to uh, you know uh, carry a, a detachment of Marines to be able to land somewhere. I mean, wow. so and those Marines were going to keep us safe. So that guy fixing the pump in the middle of the night, extraordinary, needs to understand that he's not just fixing a pump. He's he is saving the war. You know, he's keeping his that is his country safe. So that understanding of the mission for everybody was it can be duplicated i think in any organization that is incredible you know what this is going to be the first segment and we're going to come back to you with part two this segment really i think lee and rick did a great job of helping us understand that there's a leadership philosophy in the military that we can all learn from servant leadership and how that time in the service shaped them and i I just will never forget the idea the job of a leader is remove the obstacles from the people they lead so they can become and do what they need to do. And as Lee finished up on that story, making sure that everybody doing any job knows their value. We'll be back uh, next week or in a couple of days when you see our second podcast uh, on why uh, the military it has an extraordinary capability to develop leaders and what we can learn from it. <laughs> 